Hello, welcome to episode 5 of The Place You Call Home, a weekly podcast where I, Denise Moore, speak to people about the concept of home, what it means to them, um, and what they would like that place to look like in the future. Today is a very special episode for a few reasons. One, it's the last episode of this series. Um, and two, um, this is a bit more of a researchy episode. Uh, I've mentioned in a few of the earlier episodes that I am an ex-think tanker. Um, I worked for a think tank in London, surprise, surprise, um, for five years. And so as part of this series, I wanted to bring about uh, an episode that would sort of touch on the research behind the concept of home and how and why people form connections to places and and what that meant when you put that in a research setting. So I was very, very lucky um, to be able to score an interview with Alison Blunt and Sonia Sivakari, um, who both work uh, for the Centre for Studies of Home and the Museum of London. Um, as always, I will pop in at the end um, to say my byes and round this episode off. But until then, enjoy the episode. So, Alison, Sonia, thank you so much for joining me. Do each of you just want to talk a bit about your roles and your work with the Museum of the Home and with Queen Mary? Alison? Alison Blunt, I'm Deputy Vice Principal for Impact, focusing on culture, civic and community at Queen Mary, University of London, where I'm also a Professor of Geography. Um, and I'm also founding co-director of the Centre for Studies of Home, which was set up in 2011 as a partnership between Queen Mary and the Museum of the Home. Thank you for joining me. And Sonia? Hello, um, I'm Sonia Solikari. I'm director at the Museum of the Home and with Alison Blunt, I'm co-director of the Centre for Studies of Home. Perfect. So just to kick off, tell us a bit about how this project came about. How long was it in the making? The centre, so <laughs> this partnership, as I say, it was established in 2011 and it really building on a lot of research across particularly the Faculty of Humanities and Social Sciences at Queen Mary on home uh, in the past and the present, home in different contexts, studying home with a whole range of different approaches um, and the incredibly close synergies with colleagues at the museum um, working again on home in a variety of different contexts in the past and the present, thinking about home in relation to curatorial work and educational work um, and engagement work in the space of the museum and the whole basis for the centre and our mission really is to um, deepen and diversify understandings of home for public and for academic audiences and we do that through a collaborative programme of research um, on a whole range of different subjects um, which has, has been you know enormously enjoyable and, and really rewarding and you know had lots of impact. Yeah, I think what's been really interesting for me, because I joined the museum in 2017, so the Centre for Studies of Home had already been running for a while then, um, was to see how well it was working in terms of blowing apart the idea that, say, academic and public 
are binaries um, and it's much more yep. of a spectrum of a conversation. So at the museum, we think of our work as dip in or dive in and probably the work of the centre is on the dive in end of the spectrum um, in, in, in terms of that's for everybody and anybody who wants more information and to think about ideas of the home, um, you know, the intersectionality, intersectionality of that, um, maybe do, do research themselves or access research. Um, so that works really well. But I think um, I do want to put the emphasis on the fact that um, it is accessible for everyone and lots of people do get to the information that comes through that centre in a, in, in a myriad of different ways. Um, I wondered if, because I couldn't believe that I hadn't heard about this idea before. Um, and also working in policy and research, one of the biggest uh, disagreements um, would be about getting your work out there um, and having people sort of connect, people outside of the policy world connect with your work. So I, I wondered, did you take inspiration from somewhere about this or or did you sort of bring bring the ideas together and come up with it yourselves? I think um, certainly Queen Mary's got such a, a strong emphasis on public engagement um, in terms of our research, on thinking about engaged research and thinking about the different audiences who we want to be working with um, and really learning from and sharing ideas with. Um, so very much that approach to thinking about research. Um, and then the, the collaboration with the museum, you know, just enabling that to happen in so many rich and varied ways. Um, enabling us to work with and reach, you know, different people in all sorts of different contexts um, and sharing that research. So I think a lot of our research is is, is sort of focused on the engagement yeah. side of work, which has, has been really positive. Yeah, and I think there's a long, there's a long and rich history of museums um, working with universities and using the research which is coming out of universities to make them to make it into public displays and exhibitions. The creator, the creation of the centre definitely focuses the mind um, and it means that there is an ongoing working relationship as opposed to creating an exhibition and yeah. only accessing a particular body of research for that exhibition so it means that there, we can build um, on 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 work year and year on year. I noticed when I was looking at the stay at home stories and work that people spoke about some people spoke about finding a renewed appreciation for the local area during the pandemic but mm -hmm. There were others who felt that they had been abandoned, left behind. Um, and I wondered if you could maybe talk a bit about what that that means and, and the discussions or thoughts that came from that work. There were two strands, really. Um, so very quickly, when we went into that first lockdown, the museum realised as a museum of the home, like we needed to be there for our visitors, audiences, and be a, be a space where people could be sharing their experiences and that be documented. So we rolled out a very rapid response collecting project called Stay Homes, which was basically an open call um, for people to reflect on um, what was going on in their lives, how they were coping with lockdown, what was changing, and to submit. Um, basically, they could fill in, um, complete a, a questionnaire, and then submit photographs or videos of their experience. Um, and they all went into the collection um, and then um, as, as Alison was saying that expanded into a um, bigger research um, project which um, you know and and but, but both of those strands are, are still still running if you like in terms of yeah. how we go back to them and yeah. um, you know 
uh, elements of them are still on display or on the website. So um, there's definitely longevity to both of those. But um, as you said, Deneen, um, you know, there's a real mixture of responses because um, for some people, lockdown was a, a time of great creativity and some people was a time of huge anxiety and for some people it's a mixture of the two hour by hour day by day you could very much change and shift your perception of of your life and experience and, and what you were going through um so um i think yeah ab absolutely some people did feel abandoned and i think that that was um based on their work situation for instance or how financially stable they were feeling at the time whether they had family uh networks of course you couldn't mix but you know were there people that they could call and all of these things impacted on how people felt mm. felt during lockdown um i don't know how, how you yeah. felt about the responses alison yeah no absolutely and and perhaps just a, a little bit of an introduction to the stay home stories research project um which the hrc funded one so we had had various different strands of the research um really the whole aim of it wanting to understand people's very diverse experiences of home in the context of the pandemic um, and that involved uh, over 100 interviews with people uh, from different migration faith um, and ethnic backgrounds and a mapping strand of the work with children and young people that was led by colleagues at the University of Liverpool. Um, also interviews with people working in museums about museum responses to the pandemic um, and also working with artists and other creative practitioners about their responses to, um, you know, having to live and work increasingly at home. Um, but, the, but the sort of question about home and neighbourhood, I think, is a, it's such an important one. And I think, it, you know, it goes back to what Sonia was saying about this expanded sense of home. So thinking about home as a kind of ex spatially expanded, this has been a real theme in the work that I've done, um, you know, thinking about home as, you know, across a range of intersecting scales, the domestic, thinking about the nation as home or not as home, thinking about diasporic and transnational ways of thinking of maintaining links across different homes. Um, and in more you know, recent work and a lot of the work that I've done around home and the city, thinking about the street, the estate, the neighbourhood, the city more widely being a place imagined and experienced as home or not as home. So this, this sort of context of an expanded sense of home and a home shaped by mobility as well as by dwelling. And then what happens in terms of the pandemic, you know, to an unprecedented extent, people were confined to their homes, you know, this, obviously with many exceptions of key workers and so on. But for a you know, huge number of people, stay home directives meant people were spending far more time at home. Where does that leave this kind of expanded sense of home, a home that's shaped by mobility as well as dwelling when people are um, much more living within their um, own domestic spaces? And I think what came through in a lot of the research was even at a time of great confinement and absolutely a time of isolation and dislocation for many, many people, home was still connected in other ways. And again, to a greater and lesser degrees, but home was still, but on a more localized scale, I mean, obviously through the sort of digital and the virtual, those connections with you know, other homes and other family members and friends living in other places as well, again, accessible to some people, not accessible to others. But I think for many people, a kind of renewed um, or a new um, appreciation of their local neighborhood um, and a sense of, for many people, a sort of greater sense of rootedness and connection with that local neighbourhood, whilst for other people, a recognition of their disconnection from that local neighbourhood. Um, and often that came down to to what extent people felt there was a sense of community, 
in that wider neighbourhood and to what extent they could access green space in the wider neighbourhood. Um, so those kind of things really shaping people's everyday lives in a way that their home life was stretched beyond the domestic to include this wider sense of the neighbourhood. Again, whether that was a positive experience or a much more challenging experience, a much more isolating experience, but it nevertheless, it, it stretched, you know, it still was connecting with, even to the extent of people working or studying from home, the views out of windows being incredibly significant mm. people. And, you know, even if you didn't know your neighbours, actually a greater awareness of your da neighbours' daily routines and their awareness of your daily routines through sitting and working or studying or whatever, or just being at home a great deal more. Um, and I think it was really interesting in a lot of the interviews we did with people and the interviews were in London and Liverpool. Um, and a lot of them were with people who had migrated and very different migration histories. Um, and for some people that sense of, for the first time feeling a greater sense of rootedness in their neighborhoods than they ever had done before. And which, you know, in that more positive way. And for others, a, a sort of sense of that, you know, and one, interview in Liverpool, I think, put it really that sort of sense of her sense of the city shrinking to actually the scale of a village. You know, it wasn't the sense of the widest. It was very much more localised, but also a sense of her acknowledgement for the first time of Liverpool as home, because she said she'd made the decision to stay in Liverpool at the very beginning when she could have returned to you know the, the country where she had other family and where she'd come from originally she chose to stay in Liverpool and that sort of sense of choosing to be there choosing to be stuck there is what she said which I think is really really interesting <laughs> um but then equally other people who felt um you know you know absolutely a sense of isolation and a recognition that their neighborhood lacked a sense of community that they felt very separate from friends and family many of whom were far away um and that the neighborhood was lacking for them and then that sense of you know, the, yeah, what makes, and it just raises all sorts of questions around how, yeah, how people's experiences of home and their neighbourhood can be fairer, can be more inclusive, can be spaces of, you know, connection rather than disconnection, isolation, exclusion. Um, so it's sort of, I think the pandemic brought all of those issues to the fore. All of those things are really important in thinking about home already, but they kind of became to the fore and, and, and sort of magnified uh, through people's experiences in the pandemic. Yeah. Um and and what I one bit that I really, really um liked was the work that people had put together sort of mapping not just their local area but their actual homes, their literal homes. And weirdly I hadn't really seen that before, actually. I'd seen people like taking photos of their local area, but actually seeing how people were living yeah. like this is the space in a room where I do my homework this is a space in the yeah. same room where yeah. now more members of the family are having to sleep and you 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 really felt like you were inside that space and if it was a bit of a smaller space yeah you, you felt it a lot more and I I wondered about how the people being able to draw that space and and share those visualizations did that, did the people who do that, maybe then, did that enable them or maybe push them to do some, I don't know, some kind of community work or maybe uh, did that push them to action? Anything after they've done that? Well, uh, 
Um, I mean, that strand of the Stay Home Stories project was particularly with children and young people, children um, yeah. and teenagers, actually. Um, and it was led, as I say, by Georgina Enfield and Jacqueline Waldock, who are both at the University of Liverpool. And that had they've had over 500 submissions from all across the country um, and indeed some internationally as well. And this particular part of the project was with the Royal Geographical Society and as a, 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 a online exhibition of quite a lot of those maps um, on the RGS website. And those maps, I mean, they are, I mean, it, it, a really, um, I mean, just the whole idea of mapping and the way that children and young people are able to express all sorts of different things through mapping um, that, you know, and, and so many different varied ways. And there were themes, there were real sort of points of connection across many of them. Um, the maps, a lot of them, you know, with the imagery of the lock, the padlock of the chain, you know, the home being physically separate from the world. And often, really interestingly, a number of the maps actually thinking about home in the context of outer space and the wider galaxy and the world itself, which is, again, so, so interesting thinking about home as a place of confinement, but thinking about that confinement in that kind of global context. And I think what people choose to photograph um, you you kind of have to convince people that their everyday life is is of interest because mm. historically, I mean, things have been blown apart in recent decades with um, you know the availability of the photographic medium via via our phones. Um, but but previously, really, photographs of the interior, once they became you know technically possible, were really only of festivals and feast days. So, you know, we've got lots of pictures of people at the birthday table with a cake or, a, you know, celebrating a religious festival um, and very few of someone just in their bed or, um, mm. you know, at their desk writing that, you know, they do exist, but they're much, much rarer. Um, and, and even today, when people are taking so, so many photos, um, you know, you kind of there are still relatively fewer of them just doing everyday stuff I mean we've got video now obviously but people are sort of you know posing or staging those and it's just how how do you get to the truth of a moment it's it's mm. it's very difficult it's, it's interesting you you spoke about like getting some people to share who are maybe a bit even though they knew it wasn't important if they knew it was an important time maybe feeling sort of a bit conscious or worried about sharing because my so my family is Jamaican um and we've got sort of photo albums and stuff, but a lot of the photos of my great-grandparents, my grandparents, aunts and uncles, were taken at special occasions. Mm. Yeah. And mostly with the purpose of sending them either over here or back, or taken over here to send back to Jamaica, and not really. Whereas now, a lot of people, you can take a photo just because you want to have it. Mm. Yeah. Or, be or because maybe at some point you might want to look back or you might want to share it. So I think that's, yeah, I wonder if that's, all. and also film was not cheap. Yeah. Mm. It was really, really expensive. Mm. Um, so yeah, I wonder how different. So I wanted to talk um, about the next question that I've got. You've gone through a sort of overhaul of the way that you've worked on and, and acknowledging the past and the origins of the Museum of the Home. Mm -hmm. And then also about you changing the way that you work. Could you maybe talk a bit about that? Maybe the journey to get to where you are now and, and things that have changed? Yeah, that, so there's, there's so many strands to this. Um, so 
if 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 I start with the identity of the museum itself, um, because we were previously the Jeffrey Museum and we're now the Museum of the Home. Um, and actually we changed that name and identity before there was very um, intense conversation about Robert Jeffrey himself and who he was. But actually the idea of the identity of the museum and that history became very much bound up and was something that we found that we really did need to address um, as a museum in a really direct way, as opposed to being quite passive about it as we had been previously, where we we were, we were open about that history, but weren't necessarily upfront about it and didn't think about it um, as something which had had defined us. But suddenly we were much more under scrutiny and it led to some really um, kind of difficult self-reflections, not not just about the museum's history with Robert Jeffrey, but also about museums and how they're structured and the structures of power um, more generally. But but Robert Jeffrey, um, who uh, gave his name to the to the museum as it was, um, was was basically um, well, he was he was a mayor of London, um, but he was always he was also an investor. Um, this is in the you know the 1600s, um, and he invested in transatlantic slavery, and that's how he made um, some of his money. And when he died, he bequeathed some of that money to the Ironmongers Company, who built almshouses here um, in East London in his name. So they were the Jeffrey Almshouses, and but he he didn't he didn't found the museum and may or may not have liked the idea of a museum in 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 his buildings so there's so there was there was always that split but so so therefore when we when we came to look very intensely at that history we were like well we don't want you, you know we don't want it to be just about jeffrey when we're telling a very complex story about the home um and what about you, you know colonization and the history of home um, uh, you know, and even if you look at the home in the UK, um, uh, you know, over, over time, it's like, what have we filled our home with? You know, where where have these objects come from? What is the history of the wood that has made the furniture? You know, where has that ebony come from? Um, where does tea come from? You know, why 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 did people have objects made of ivory? What was, you know, what was what was the origins of there? You know, and how did that how did that come to be in a UK home? And what does that really mean? So there was a big there was a much wider story. So yes, it was about one man in in some respects, and then it was also about this very complex history of domestic space which you know as we've touched upon is a personal space but it's also a political space yeah did that sort of play into the way that you exhibit work in the museum of the home now um yes so what i should have mentioned is we still have the statue of robert jeffrey on the front of the museum buildings so that statue ha was part of the original almshouse building scheme and there was there and, and there continues to be um, a campaign to to have that statue moved from the building which is um, taking longer than anyone expected because the building is grade one listed which is um, a very high level of of, of listing um, and so therefore it's it's pr it's proving to be quite quite complicated to move the statue um, but it it, it you know, it's it's meant that as a museum, we've looked how we tell that story across the site. Um, so we do we do talk about the statue. There's a, there's a plaque um, just beneath the statue itself with a code which leads to much more information um, on on our website. But also we trace the history of Robert Jeffrey throughout the spaces as well. So it's not just about the statue. Um, it's it's 
you know, it's about the almshouses. Um, it's about the chapel space where there's also a memorial to Geoffrey within that space. And so we start to tell the history of the site. Um, and then the other strand of our work, um, you know, like I said, is, is really looking at the history of the home. And we've started to expand the stories that we tell there. So what was the impact of international slavery um, on domestic lives in the in 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 the UK? Um, and 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 beyond you know how will people benefit benefiting from that you know and 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 how people i think like robert jeffrey were able to somehow separate in their minds philanthropic work um and also terrible atrocities that they were part of and they were able to separate those yeah. those those two aspects um and um i think that's something which which many people find quite difficult to reconcile yeah um and how often i would have thought that that philanthropic work was at home as in at, within the nation identified as home and those atrocities you know absolutely all connected but yeah it was almost as if that they were going away to do business business yes. being basically the transatlantic slave. A lot, as I mentioned before, especially in inner London, where the Museum of the Home is, um, there has been sort of closures of schools um, mm. and sort of various other facilities because people who want to have children aren't able to stay in those areas and for various other reasons have had to move further out. Um, and obviously with that happening, not only do you, does that affect, you know, the area and funding for facilities and all that stuff, but there's also a loss of sort of an oral history of the area, the history that you get from just talking to people. Do you think that one role that the Museum of the Home could take is to almost be the, not not keeper, that's not the right word, but sort of the, the, almost the holder of that history? Like a, a way to make sure that that history survives? So I think in terms of the role of museums in general, definitely. And obviously there are lots of different types of museums and, and historically uh, civic museums have very much held that space. And somewhere like Hackney, Hackney Museum is really um, excellent at cap capturing how Hackney is changing. As a museum of the home, we would absolutely want to be documenting that, but from very much from a domestic perspective. So, you know, we would be talking, you know, maybe less, I mean, we are looking more at home city street, as Alison outlined through various strands of research, but we would probably look less at the changing high street um, and more at you know the home and the relationship of the home to the high street if you see it's always yeah. from that yeah. Spe perspective so we so we would so yes in answer in answer to your question yes no i think absolutely and i think um and the ways of in the way that the museum has engaged with local communities in so many ways over and thinking about the work with the museum with the vietnamese community particularly at the moment <laughs> it's one example of that that sort of sense of the local area you know changing and being shaped by different people and different communities over different periods of time and how important that is and reflecting that diversity of an area um, even as people might move and you know for all sorts of different reasons as well as people staying um, and not being in a position to move potentially and not wanting to move um, but I think that that sort of idea of the, the museum a muse I mean there are lots of parallels between museums and universities in terms of the kind of 
rootedness of the organization, um, you know, sometimes called anchor institutions, and certainly in the context of the university, the civic university, and Queen Mary absolutely has a, you know, we have a civic university agreement, we're fully committed to where we are, and the place that we're in, in terms of East London, and the partners that we work with, and the communities that we work with, um, as being really fundamental to what we do. Um, and I would see museums in a very, you know, playing a similar role. Um, and certainly seeing the partnership between Queen Mary and the Museum of the Home in that way, as well as being, you know, place-based, but not place-bound, place, you know, rooted, but not fixed, I suppose. And again, mm. this goes back to the very idea of home as somewhere that is potentially is often is, you know, about place. It's about locatedness and so on. But it's much it's about a sense of place that is always connected to other places, connected to the past as well as the present, to dreams and ideas for the future. You know, it's not it's not something fixed and bounded. It's something that is, yeah. Um, what role then do you see universities playing in that? What 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 do you think that would look like? Well, we at Queen Mary, like many other universities, we have a civic university agreement. So this was again a, a two year process, listening process, and consultation with our communities and stakeholders and partners. Um, to really shape what our civic priorities are. Um, and they are around inclusive placemaking, healthy and sustainable futures, um, pathways for life, thinking about skills and employment uh, in East London, as well as Queen Mary being an employer. Um, <clears throat> Queen Mary is a, thinking about arts and culture in relation to civic work. Queen Mary is a cultural hub for East London. Um, and then all the sort of underpinning things around enabling civic practice and our commitment to being a living wage employer is a really key part of that. Also think about procurement, you know, the, the sort of workings of the organisation, as well as all the research and the teaching that goes on within the organisation. And all of those things connect with with our civic, our civic commitments and our civic um, goals of what we're, what we're wanting to do. Just one quick, very quickly, has working at the museum and working at the centre and on this has that changed how you both feel about home? I mean, it's definitely made me think about home more. Um, and it's funny because I think I felt about it uh, less as less fixed to to a place. I think because, um, you know, we think so intense. One of the method, methods that we use of conveying the idea of home is our room sets. And we've used that for many decades as an accessible way of people understanding a home. So we recreate a room. Um, and it's interesting about what we were saying about fixed or moving, because it's like, can can a room set stand in for an idea of home? And can it stand in for an idea of all homes? Um, and of course, it you know, it can and it can't in many ways. Um, I'm always surprised at how much people find something to relate to in each of the room sets. Um, even if it's a room set that is of a life that is completely different to theirs, people are kind of finding there's con connections. It could be mm -hmm. a vase or it could be the colour of the carpet or, it, you know, um, it could be a plug-in heater or all kinds of things that you don't imagine and that they don't expect is going to take them back. Um, and so it's that kind of memory space that we touched on earlier. So I think the more that I've thought about the home, the less I've thought about it as fixed. And the more I've thought about it as this transient thing that comes and goes. And, you know, we live with an idea of every home we've ever been in or ever not been in. Um, 
these are all carried with us aren't they and they sometimes come back in our dreams in that we often live in spaces that in your dream you're thinking what is this it's an amalgamation of mm-hmm. things that I didn't even know I knew um, mm. and I suppose that's that's sort of what home is for me a sort of dreamlike space <laughs> well I've, I mean I've been researching home for over 20 years well longer than that um, since really since my master's research and 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 I came to be studying home because I was desperately homesick because I was doing my master's and my PhD in Canada and you know pre-email so long ago and you know just feeling very um yeah dislocated for the first time in my life and and that sort of sense of thinking about home in that context has you know I found you know hugely fascinating ever since um and very much in that sense of home in relation to migration, home in relation to diaspora, home empire, and the kind of political mobilization of home, as well as home as a space of resistance. Um, So again, absolutely the personal meanings of home, but thinking about the political, um, absolutely the politicized nature of home. And you see that, you know, writ large in terms of immigration policy and the mobilization of home in incredibly excluding ways. again with you know huge material consequences on people's lives so one area I'm you know that that sort of sense of home as you know the materialities of home you know the objects the spaces the embodiment of home but how the materiality of home is always connected with and shaped by the imaginaries of home as well so and then how both of those are personal but both of them are deeply political and home as a site of inclusion as well as exclusion, a site of belonging as well as alienation, a site of sanctuary as well as a site of violence. You know, home has covers a spectrum of human life, but often remains out of view. And often that's where, that's when, you know, the most problematic aspects of home can thrive because home is out of view. So I think, you know, part of the whole actually putting home at the forefront and saying home absolutely matters and essential to human life um, and should be part of a wider understanding of how society works, how inequalities might become entrenched, how people might again be resisting those you know inequalities and, and so on, but actually taking home seriously um, and you know really engaging with home and understanding home and being critical of the ways in which home can be put to other ends, I suppose, put it that way. Yeah. Um, So thank you both for joining me. I want to finish off by giving you both a chance to pitch some of the work. Sonia? Yes. So um, the the best way of finding out what's happening at the Museum of the Home is the Museum of the Home's own website and um, social channels. So we're regularly um, streaming on those. We've got some really exciting um, projects coming up, but mainly I would say that's our Real Rooms project, which is actually redoing the room sets from the 1870s to the present day and the future with the support of Queen Mary um, University. And that's really, we're really looking at the room sets because they previously reflected quite a white middle class view of domestic space um, and now we're rethinking them to really reflect the diversity of London both historically and, and now um, and start to look at more of the complexities of home within those room sets. So that's an active project um, and we're working on it right now and they're going to launch in June 2024. Excellent. 
um, I'd say tunes. And Alison? Well, I would um, suggest looking at the Stay Home Stories website for all of our reports, our films, our podcast series as well, and lots of other resources. It's www.stayhomestories.co.uk. Um, and I and other members of the team are busy writing papers and hopefully in shortly writing a book as well about all of our research findings um, across across the project. Um, and since Stay Home Stories, and again, you know, that is really ongoing, but sort of new collaborations and, you know, exciting work that's really emerged from that um, with my colleague Alistair Owens working also with Praxis for Migrants and Refugees, also in East London, um, a project last year called Home Is with Brighter Futures, which is a group of young migrant people who meet at Praxis, um, who launched a housing manifesto, particularly for people living in asylum accommodation. Um, and so really, you know, hoping to carry on working with Praxis in all sorts of different ways. Um, and then another project, a public engagement project with Tower Hamlets, the Tower Hamlets Council, on the green grid and gender inclusive design in Tower Hamlets. And that emerged again, very directly from thinking about um, the importance of green space for people in the pandemic. So that's, and that's also with Alistair and Elsa Noteman and other colleague and with colleagues at the council. So, so lots of different things going on, which, you know. Yeah, it's really exciting. All, all very, all very exciting and very enjoyable. So. Thank, thank you both for speaking with me. Thank, thank you very you much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, and that is that. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening to the episode. I could have spoken to Alison and Sonia for hours. Um, I have put all of the links to Centre for Studies of Home. Um, for Stay Home Stories and Museum of the Home in the episode notes. Um, I would love to hear from you about your thoughts on this episode and the others. Um, There might be a series two in the works. Let me know your thoughts. Do you have any ideas of guests, people that I should speak to? Have you come across any interesting research um, or performances? Talking about interesting research and performances, Museum of the Home have excellent um, displays and they also have excellent events and talks and plays and poetry. So please, please, please check them out. I watched a wonderful play there um, about the Brixton Co-op housing project on Wilton Road uh, and it was absolutely wonderful. So please check them out. And let me know your thoughts um as always i am at short sarky s-a-r-k-y-8-8 on twitter and instagram um and if you know me outside of the show please get in touch please leave a rating on whichever podcast app you're using five stars would be a huge help um and until we meet again have a wonderful time and take care Thank you very much.